Hey guys, it's Leah Pika. Today's guest is a celebrated figure in enforcing friendly policy in presentation and data viz circles. Stay tuned to find out who's kicking off the new year with me on Present Beyond Measure, episode 26. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 26th episode of Present Beyond Measure and to a whole new year. Yay! I hope 2017 is already delivering on great promises for analytical abundance. I know it is for me, and I have some super exciting developments in the works for you guys, such as an amazing guest lineup, some new blog posts about common mistakes we make, and slides charting better in Tableau, as well as some really exciting speaking appearances that I'll be telling you about really soon keep you in suspense. I also just returned from my week-long company on-site at Search Discovery. Oh man, oh man, working for this company (laughs) is a dream. I get such a high from being surrounded by so much talent and laughter, and I just want to give a huge shout out to my very esteemed SDI peeps for an amazing experience. So energizing. I had to share. But for now, let's kick this episode off with today's totally rad guest. Hey, everybody. Today's esteemed guest is an economist by training, but over the last five years, he's worked hard to communicate his research in better ways and to help others do the same. He's the author of the popular data viz blog, Policy Viz, and has a wonderful Policy Viz podcast and the Rad Presenters podcast, and his collaboration site, Help Me Viz. has got a lot going on. And through each of these, his mission is to help others do a better job communicating their data. He was named a visualization thought leader by All Analytics in 2000. 2013, and his brand new book, Better Presentations, a guide for scholars, researchers, and wonks, is designed to help presenters of scholarly or data-intensive content develop clear, sophisticated, and visually captivating presentations. And it's become one of my favorite new data presentation reads for 2017. With that, please help me welcome one of my data viz heroes, Jonathan Schwabish. Hello. Hi, Leah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was a nice intro. I feel very uh, esteemed. It's <sighs> awesome. That's how I roll, you know. A data viz hero. I like it. Okay. <laughs> I'll send when you I a get... t-shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I got to make t-shirts. That's awesome. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. This is going to be fun. It's my pleasure. And I'm so thrilled to finally meet you. I first discovered you through Stephanie Evergreen Mm -hmm. uh, on the Rad Presenters podcast was one of my faves. But first, I love a good superhero origin story. Tell us a little bit about how you fell into the whole world of intrigue that is data viz. Uh, yes. Um, I'll try to make the story short. So I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an economist by training. Um, I started my career in D.C. at the Congressional Budget Office. Um, CBO is the, the budget arm of the U.S. Congress. So anytime Congress comes up with a, a bill, they want to, I don't know, say increase spending on defense or increase benefits for unemployed workers or uh, cut this or spend more on this, CBO has to um, 
score that. They have to come up with a budget estimate. So that's where I worked for for almost 10 years. And when I was there, I like, you know, all the other terrific people who worked there wrote a lot of reports. And the reports we wrote were followed what I call fairly standard sort of formula, which is like a PDF report with a bunch of text and Mm -hmm. graphs sort of stuck in there. You know, you sort of standard government report or or Mm -hmm. academic report. And um, it, it just became clearer and clearer to me um, that members of Congress weren't really paying as much attention to our work that I would have liked. And I think a lot of that had to do with the way we were communicating, you know, what, the way we were writing, certainly the the content, of course. But also, I just thought that the, the visualizations, the graphs, the report types could have been better. And so um, I started getting that's when I started really getting interested in uh, in data visualization. I took an Edward Tufte course. Like, I feel like everybody sort of gets their start there. And then later they <laughs> sort of sigh. Oh, I got my start at Tufte. Um, <laughs> but I uh, I did attend Tufte's course and, and a couple things there uh, sort of piqued my interest because I was working on some reports that I sort of could immediately apply some of the things I saw. Mm-hmm. And so I worked on that. We made um, some, some, we improved the graphs and the regular reports. We made some new report types. We, we started making infographics and, and, you know, say in, let's say the summer of 2012, um, one of the infographics was actually used in a congressional hearing. And that's like, you know, that's oh. my high point right there. Right. <laughs> You know, when, a, when a member of Congress, yeah, when I'm like, you're that's a win, a member of Congress holding up an infographic. So, um, so we, you know, we were, we were going along on that. And then I sort of pivoted a little bit to say, look, if we can improve the way we're, we're making our graphs and our visualizations, we can all improve the way we communicate uh, orally in front of an audience when we're presenting a paper or when we're um, pitching an idea or when we're you know, testifying in front of Congress. So that's when I started getting really interested in the, in the presentation stuff. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I moved over to where I am now. I'm now at the Urban Institute, which is a uh, nonprofit research institution here in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I spend half my time uh, still doing economic research. I do most of my work on food stamps and disability issues. Mm-hmm. And then I spend the other half of my time doing data communication, d- uh, data viz, uh, presentation skills, um, all those sorts of fun, uh, intriguing things that uh, that we're trying to uh, get people to pay attention to our work, to our analysis, and, um, and and also, you know, try to make it easier for for analysts and researchers who, you know, you probably run into this all the time. People don't feel like they're designers. You know, they, mm-hmm. they feel a little kind of cautious or embarrassed or I don't know, they, you know, they don't feel like they have the skills to be a designer. And so a lot of it is, is trying to teach people, well, you don't, you know, we're not trying to make great art for, you know, right. for the National Gallery here. We're just <laughs> trying to make clear, effective graphs. So a lot of my time is spent sort of talking to people and, and you know, helping them with different tools and getting them in, in, engaged with, with the idea that communicating data, communicating analysis is not just about, especially now, it's not just about writing a big report with, you know, 40 graphs in it. And you sort of <laughs> say, figure one says this and figure two steps this, you know, it's, it's, it's more than that. And, um, and so it's a fun, it's a fun challenge. I, I, I really enjoy working with, with people who are, you know, sort of have similar backgrounds to me who are working with lots of data, who are thinking about public policy, social policy issues, and, and trying to figure out how we can do a better job of getting people to pay attention and, and learn something and, and hopefully make, make change. I, that's fantastic. And it's so funny that you talk about 
how people don't think that they're designers. I always show during one of my sessions, what do they call stick figure sketch that I draw? That's like the extent of my artistic ability (laughs) (laughs) to show like, you don't have to be a pro to learn principles to do this well. And I'm just glad that the world has even half your attention on, on empowering them to do that more effectively. So I would love to just dive right into your awesome book, Better Presentations. Great. I love how direct the title is, by the way. It's not like at all <laughs> cryptic. No, you know, that's really funny you say that because uh, because my editor uh, um, at Columbia, who is just fantastic. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, I think you and I probably spend a lot of time thinking about our audience and telling our, you know, telling people we work with to think carefully about the audience. Mm-hmm. And my editor at Columbia always made sure that I was you know, I'd sort of stray off a little bit and talk mm. about color theory or typography, typo- typography theory. And she'd say, no, 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 you, your audience doesn't care about that. And I'd be like, that's right. That's right. Let's think about the audience. Um, yeah, we went back and forth on the title a lot. And, uh, you know, it was sort of trying to get catchy stuff. And I was finally like, like the main presentation I sort of give to people to train them to give better presentations is just called better presentations. <laughs> So, yeah. So, so I, the, the, the sequel will probably be, you know, the best presentations or something like even that. Better. So, even better. Even better presentations. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you've divided this book into certain sections. So I thought I'd just ask you to touch a little bit about each. So you have designing, building and delivering your presentation. And in the designing phase, I love how much attention you place on planning your section before mm-hmm. any execution, especially the presentation worksheet. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So as as you mentioned, and as I'm sure we both sort of do in practice, when we're asked to give presentations or when people are asked to give presentations, I think the first instinct for people is to open PowerPoint or open Keynote or whatever their tool is and start banging away and start, you know, moving figures in and writing out bullet points and all that sort of stuff. And I, I, I myself did that for a long time. And then as I started getting interested in this field, I sort of said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And the better way is to really think the way we should write, which is to sit down and write out an outline, you know, and sketch out, you know, our topic sentences. And we're all taught how to do that in grade school. When you write your first book report, you're supposed to set up your outline, right? (laughs) And and, and I'm not sure people do that. They don't, I don't think they really do outlines anymore either, Mm -hmm. but they should um, (laughs) because it ends up with a better product. And the same thing I think holds with, with presentations to sit down and think about the outline of the talk. Think about the goal of the talk. Think about the audience uh, to whom you're speaking, you know, it's very different to talk in front of, uh, you know, I don't know, the CEO of the company mm. than it is to sit around a table with four of your colleagues, right? Like, uh, or an academic conference versus, you know, South by Southwest or whatever it is. So, yes. so those are very different audiences. Um, and so, so what I started doing, I mean, basically just reflects my own, um, process, my own habits. So when I started thinking more carefully about how I wanted to be a better presenter, I just basically answered questions in my head and I just literally wrote them down. And so ultimately that turned into the worksheet that's, that's in the book and on my website, which is basically asking just a few core questions. Like who's your audience? What do you want them to do? Um, what are the sections talk? What are the sections of the talk? What's your opening statement? What's your closing statement? Um, you know, what images do you want to use? What stories can you tell? What mm-hmm. questions can you anticipate? Um, so I'm a big fan of, of starting analog when it comes to presentations or when it comes to data viz. But for presentations, I just feel like 
people can get much further in delivering their message more effectively if they do sort of two primary things. One, if they sit down, think about the talk before they start creating it, you know, just mm -hmm. outline it and sketch. And the other thing is to, I guess, to, to think, put the audience first, right? And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think a lot of people do that. They, they, the reason a lot of us see slides where there's a lot of text and there's, you know, appendix figure, appendix table one has been put into the slide deck and figure one is just sort of cut and paste from the PDF is that the speaker is just moving the report into slides mm. and that's putting the speaker first. So the speaker says, I want to make sure I touch these five points. I'm going to make them all bullets. And that way I remember, <laughs> but that's not, you know, that's not best for the audience. So, you know, uh, so I start, the whole book tries to take a presenter from th through the entire process of sketching and outlining and conceptualizing the talk and then getting into the to the building of the talk and then the delivery of the talk. So this first part, I think, is probably one of the more important parts. And, you know, I say right up front in the introduction, if you're a designer, if you're a PowerPoint expert, you probably don't need some of the, you know, middle parts of the book. If yeah. you're a designer, you know, color theory, you don't need that chapter. But I think everybody needs to learn and how to probably improve how they outline and sketch and conceptualize the talk. Um, and so those parts of the book are, I think, for for you know, for everybody, but especially for the scholars, the researchers and the wonks, of course, right? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, the analysts and marketers that I work with are always shocked when I open a workshop with, guess what? We're not opening PowerPoint yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some work to do. And they're yeah, like, here's hey, a yeah. pencil and a piece of paper. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and a post-it pad. So yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. Now, are you are you a post-it? Are you a post-it note person? I am. See, I'm an index card person. Oh, okay. Well, so the post-it note thing, I tried. I just don't have enough wall space. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. Oh. And I also move between my my home office and my and my work office. So if I do index cards, I can, you know, mm. I can pack them up and take them with me. Oh, that's true. They right. they are really annoying to <laughs> unstick yeah, to once you stack the wall. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you know, we each have our own. We each method. have our own. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Whatever process works for you, right? right? Exactly. As long as there's a process. Yeah. Right. Um. So I, I love the section that you had on how we learn information. Uh, some of that included cognitive load theory and some of the work of Richard Mayer. Can you go into some of these principles and how the crucial they are for presentation? Yeah, absolutely. So there is a lot of research on how we uh, uh, process, receive, and receive information. And so there is... Um, a lot of different types of research out there from psychologists, cognitive psychologists, um, neuroscientists mm -hmm. um, that talk about how we do that. And so, as you mentioned, uh, Richard um, uh, Mayer is one of the, um, I guess, what would you call him? Um, legendary figure <laughs> in the field. Is that, <laughs> that a way to put it? So, um, sure. so he and, and a lot of his co-authors have sort of what I talk about sort of briefly in the book are, are three learning principles that I think apply well to to presentation delivery. So the first one he or one of the ones that he talks about is the multimedia principle. Mm -hmm. And basically that states that people just they learn better from words and pictures than they do from words alone. Mm -hmm. So so to sort of back up a second, the th I have core, three core guidelines or themes that carry all the way through the book. And those themes are to visualize as much content as you can, mm -hmm. to unify the content across your slide deck and unify with what you say, with what you show, and then to focus your audience's attention throughout 
your presentation. So make sure you show them, you know, get them to focus on the thing you want them to see at the time you want them to see it. Mm -hmm. So, so the mayor principles, um, they lend very well to those three, uh, those three principles. So the multimedia principle, again, it says that people are, they learn better from words and pictures than they do from words alone. So that is that visualized concept. So visualize as much content as you can. Mm -hmm. Then he talks about the continent, oh man, (laughs) Contiguity. Uh, Thank you. The contiguity (laughs) principle. And here, um, integrating text and visuals can lead to more learning when text and visuals are not combined. So if you think about maybe you have an image or a graph or a visualization where you're showing the picture, but you have text, you know, maybe on another slide or even, you know, really simply just take a graph with a legend that's separated from the graph. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, again, that's the, that's that unify principle. And then the other principle he talks about, and I'm, I only have three, there's lots that he talks about in, in his um, long um, experience of research. Mm-hmm. The last one that I think is relevant here is the coherence principle, which suggests that adding um, extra elements that are irrelevant to the goal of presenting or teaching can disrupt and interfere with the learning. And so again, that's that, that's the focus principle that I, that I, uh, used throughout the book. Um, so those are Mayer's, those are the pieces from Mayer's book and, and research that I really like. There's another theory that's cognitive load theory. Um, I don't get into, I don't get into it too much in the book, but it, basically cognitive load theory talks about the burden that's placed on our, on mm-hmm. our working memory. And it's, it's similar in, in, in lots of, lots of ways. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from those theories, but also in some ways it's just common sense. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you, you put a lot of stuff on the slide, your audience is paying attention to the slide and they're reading the slide and they're not paying attention to you. And I think we all think that we're great multitaskers and, you know, we're not very good multitaskers. I mean, just look at the person in front of you when you're driving and they're sort of swaying in the, in the road a little bit, you know, that they're on their phone. I mean, you can just tell Uh (laughs) because we're just not good at doing those two things. Um, You know, I've tried to make it a point as like a personal test um, to, to when I go to a talk and they, you know, the re- the speakers essentially reading the slides to me, I try to do both simultaneously, like read the words as they're reading it to me. And it's really hard to do. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so, you know, there's, there's lots to learn from all these different fields, which makes our job uh, pretty challenging because there's so much to so many different ways to think about this and, and topics to learn. Um, but a lot of these principles that, that you might see or hear about in, in the in the data viz field or in the presentations field, a lot of it is rooted in actual science and actual um, uh, research. And so um, mm-hmm. throughout the book, I try to do a, a bit of that, of talking about research that people have done that uh, lends itself well to how we process information, how we absorb information and how we um, remember that information when we when we, you know, move outside the seminar room or outside the conference hall. Right. Oh. Such critical information that none of us have (laughs) when we're we're first tasked with delivering presentations. And that's fantastic. Thank you. So you talk a lot about the use of text in presentations. What are some of the most common mistakes that we make treating our slide text? I mean, I think... So, so um, the first, the obvious one is that there's just too much text. I think that's, 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 that's ding ding, right? Like, like, Like that's the obvious one, but I think there are other ones that when I say these, if you go to your next presentation, you'll start to notice it. Now, if you've ever 
spoken to Leah or taken one of her classes um, or have taken one of my classes, um, we've we've probably ruined you. Right. Like you now. <laughs> Like you now go to a presentation and you're like, oh, man, why did this person put so much text up there? Right. The goggles are um, off. Yeah, that's right. You you are now you have now seen the other side of it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a few more. And my guess is you'll see these, you know, your eyes are going to open. Mm-hmm. So obviously too much text is one thing. I think the other big one is the hierarchy of the of the slide is not set right. So mm-hmm. you might have bold face thrown, you know, sort of strewn throughout the throughout the slide or there's different colors, but they don't correspond to a hierarchy. So you want that you want the thing to stand out that you want people to pay the most attention to. So, again, it's that focus principle. So I can't tell you how many times I'll I'll work with people who, you know, the title of the slide is the same size, the words are the same size as the body text, mm-hmm. or they have, you know, bold faced red text somewhere buried in the, in the guts of the slide where that should be the headline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the other things that people just don't, don't think about is guiding the user, the, the audience's eye through the slide. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the core one is just too much text. The text is too small. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, authors and, and coaches out there who say you should have a minimum font size of, you know, whatever they pick 20, a number, 20, 28, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like 28 is the one you always see. Um, and I don't know if there's any, a lot of <laughs> research behind that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I always tell people, look, if you want to make that your rule, make it your rule. It's fine. Because if you make it your rule that your, your tax is never going to be smaller than 28 point, then you'll, you won't have enough room to put a lot of text on your slot. Right. <laughs> so pick a rule, you know, don't make it six points, you know, make right. it, you know, make it 20, make it 28, make it 32 and stick to that rule. And that will force you to have uh, fewer words on the slides because otherwise they're just not going to fit. Right. Exactly. It's completely a side effect of trying to cram too much onto yeah. one, <laughs> yep. the, the small font thing. And I, I'll typically go to the slide sorter and say, like, if I can reasonably read what I have in the slide in the yeah. sorter, there's a good chance that the pe- person in the back uh, yep. can, can see it. it. Absolutely. That's great. So I want to move on to the building section. So one of my favorite techniques that you mention are slide headlines. I mm-hmm. love how you call them. Twitter headlines. I've actually called them BuzzFeed headlines in the past, although it's a little more overdramatic. But can you talk a little bit about this strategy? Yeah. So this is a strategy that I first found in Carmine Gallo's book, uh, The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, which is mm-hmm. another fantastic book. It's not um, as visual as as a lot of other presentation books, but um, I, it's one of the first books that I read in, in this field and I still think it's a great book, but, mm-hmm. um, Carmine's argument and, and by extension, my argument is you want to give people a headline. You want to make it active. You want to make it concise. You want people to be able to glance at it, get what that thing is, and then turn their attention back to you as the speaker. And so if you think about Twitter or Buzzfeed, um, you know, those, those, headlines or those tweets, they're short, they're concise, they're active. And so that's the sort of mantra, that's the sort of thought to go into uh, that I like to get to people's heads is to make it short and make it make it really active. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when you do that is you can get an audience to pay attention to the slide headline and say you have a headline and maybe you have a bullet point or maybe you just have an image. Then they turn their, their attention back to you. And so you have this headline, this 
bottom line, the most important thing mm-hmm. on the slide. And now they pay attention to you as the as the speaker. And what a lot of people say to me is, well, you know, this thing is really complicated or it's really complex and it's really nuanced. And I'm not I don't want to dumb things down for my audience. And I don't like that term dumbing things down or speaking to a lay audience. Mm. It's not about dumbing it down. It's right. about um, getting to what um, the the Heath brothers who wrote the Made to Stick book, uh, what they talk about is getting to the core of the idea. And that's really what this is about is, is really diving into the core. And people can get that in a moment from a headline and then get back to you as the speaker. Um, one of the stories I love to tell is my um, – about my my wife, who is a uh, speech pathologist mm-hmm. in a hospital here in Virginia, and um, at her hospital they have what they're what are called in services. So it'll be outside speakers, it'll be members of the staff. They'll they'll give a lecture uh, during the lunch during lunchtime. So you have to imagine like a big physical therapy gym, mm-hmm. and so there's fifty or sixty therapists. There's physical therapy physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, uh, and nurses, and so on. And so they have a speaker come in, and during the course of the hour, the therapists they have to listen to the talk, they have to eat their lunch. Mm-hmm. They have to finish the notes from their patients that they saw in the morning and they have to check up on their email, catch up. So they have all these things to do. So what happens is the speaker comes in, puts up these traditional these traditional slides with the sort of nondescript headline and all the bullet points. And so you kind of see 50 heads look up. They read the slide and 50 heads go back down to doing any of these other tasks. (laughs) And so. Uh, my wife has has adopted some of the the techniques that I that I talk about, and so when she talks, when she gives these in services, you know, fifty heads look up. Maybe there's a headline, or maybe it's just an image. But even if there's just a headline and then a picture of the brain, because she works on stroke uh, recovery, mm-hmm. um, those fifty heads can't look back down to read their email and do their work. They have to pay attention to the speaker. Mm-hmm. They have to listen to the speaker because otherwise, because because there's. There's nothing else to sit there and read. It's not a document, right? It's slides. It's a presentation. So if you're if you're the kind of presenter, I think, who just going to make uh, uh, put all the text on a slide, you're just providing people with a document and, and you're better off just giving them the document and letting them read. And um, I right. think I just think there's a better way. Uh, to present and to communicate information to people than to, you know, reading them, you know, reading words from a slide. Oh, I could not agree more. They don't want a bedtime story. And I just think there is a glut of meetings in our corporate community. And I, I ask students to ask their executives and superiors, like, if you want a full written out report, do we need a meeting? Right. You know, and right. and I also absolutely love what you said about hating the phrase dumbing it down and talking to a lay audience. These are smart people that we're talking to. It's just they don't necessarily know the ins and outs of all of the nuances of how we develop and, and look through our data. So I think it takes a really smart person to, quote, dumb it down or translate it to the language that our audience is speaking rather than speaking it from their own language. So I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a lot of, especially the people I work with who are, you know, tend to be researchers and, and, you know, academics, you know, there's a lot of nuance and subtlety to research, but not everybody cares. And <laughs> really? You know, yeah, I mean, they just don't. And I think we all sort of get wrapped up in our own thing. And we, you know, maybe we're really proud that we're able to figure out this, 
this techniques or we found this little weird thing in our data and we solved it. But it may <laughs> and not be like. it was so like, hard. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was so hard. It took us a long time. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if we're talking in front of an audience for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, that may not that. It's probably not the most important thing. The most important thing is to say, if we institute this policy, you know, costs are going to go down by 20 percent or, you know, right. unemployment's going to go down by by a percentage point. You know, that's the important thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, it depends on the audience. Talking to your academic colleagues is much different than talking to, you know, uh, the city council, for example. But yeah. um, like you said, they're not it's not that people are stupid. It's that we need to be thinking carefully about the message we want to deliver and what we want them to do with it. And more often than not, um, we don't need to dive into all the, I mean, let's call it right, excruciating details. Um, <laughs> yeah. We don't always need that stuff. So so that's where these Twitter-like headlines, to just sort of circle back, that's where these Twitter-like headlines um, come in, come, become really important because what it forces us to do is think about the headline, think like uh, a billboard is another metaphor people use mm-hmm. um, to think, you know, how would you uh, tweet out the bottom line to your paper, the bottom <laughs> line to, to your message? How would you make that into a billboard? Um, and, and just to get that so your audience can, uh, can grasp that information quickly and easily and then pay attention to you as you speak and dive into maybe the subtlety or the details or more of the important uh, facets of the of the work. And then be more likely to remember that headline once they leave the room and they have an onslaught of other priorities and stimuli taking their attention away. It's more likely that if the the catchier and the more chunkable it was, the easier they'll remember. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel like, well, I'm not Steve Jobs or, (laughs) you know, I'm not selling a product, right? I'm a researcher. I'm a data analyst. I'm a marketer. I'm, you know, I'm doing important work. And again, it's not about making it cheap or dumbing it down. It's about cutting down to the core of the idea. And let's let's get that in front of people's uh, eyes and get, yeah. get that into their minds. It's not about, you know, I, I what I'm telling what I try to tell people is we're not. Yeah, we're not selling a product, but we are selling our ideas. Right. Yeah. And we're not trying to sell our ideas in a you know, from a profit. Well, some people are, but like, you know, where I am, we're not selling it for a profit motive from a profit motive perspective. We're selling it from a, uh, you know, either make the world a better place or understand this. Serve our customers better. Yeah. Serve our customers or understand this aspect of society or the economy better. Um, those things are as important as, as anything else. And so there's no harm in, in thinking about ways that we can make that more graspable, easier to remember, and easier to recall. Absolutely. Love all that. I I do tell my students to sell their insights. I'm like, you got to sell. You're competing for headspace. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, you want that budget for that new campaign? You got to sell it. You got to go sell it. That's right. (laughs) Awesome. So also in building, you talk about data visualization. And, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than just talking about chart formatting and things. I'd like to talk about your layering graph strategy. I thought that was great for data storytelling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a a technique in the book I walk through. I I call it layering. Uh, Edward Tufte calls it the dreaded build. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, it it is just a build, right? I mean, it's it's basically putting one piece of information on a slide at a time. Um, And I and I apply this to to text and I also apply it to graph. So where I think I sort of take this, I, I hope I take it in sort of a new direction is to say, 
layering or building doesn't necessarily just have to be going one line. Let's take a line graph, uh, one line at a time. You can actually start the, the, the layering by showing the headline of the graph and maybe even the axes. Let's say you're showing a new graph type or it's a particularly complicated graph um, or your audience isn't going to be familiar with this, with this type of visualization. You may just want to start with, here's my y-axis and here's my x-axis and I'm going to show you uh, changes in dollars over time. Like I know that's simple, but let's make it simple. So I'm going to show you changes, over do- uh, changes in dollars. Here I'm going to show dollars on the y-axis and here I'm going to show years along the x-axis. Mm-hmm. And now you sort of set that for the audience because when you put the whole graph on the on the slide at once they have to navigate through the whole slide and and absorb everything they have to absorb the headline and what the axes are and what they mean and how they're labeled and then the data that's that's shown on the graph but you can start and go one step at a time here's the headline here's the y-axis here's the x-axis now i'm going to show you here's the first line here's the trends in revenues for our, you know, for our competitor over the last five years. Here are the trends uh, for competitor B for the last five years. Now you have two lines and here's the trends in revenues for us over the last five years. And so you show one line at a time um, building up to the to the final graph type. So I just think what that again, what that does, obviously, it visualizes. Um, but more importantly, I think it focuses the audience's attention where you want it. So I'm mm-hmm. going to show you competitor A, now competitor B. And then when we get to us or competitors or whatever it is, when we get to this final line, people are ready now. They're ready to get to that bottom point now, that bottom line point. And now you can show it to them and they have the whole graph at the end, right? You end up in the same spot as you did uh, in the original slide that you may have thrown up there that has everything on it. But now you've focused, you've taken the audience through this little, uh, this little narrative or this little discussion. And it's just easier for them um, at the end of the day. I think there's this sort of unhelpful uh, piece of advice that still lingers, uh, at least in, in economics, which is you should have no more slides than the number of minutes you're going to speak. Oh. And like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, those two are not correlated in any way. Um, it's just a weird sort of sort of piece of advice. And I think it hangs over from when you had to like print the, uh, yep. the overhead the transparencies or even oh, before yeah. print the slides, right? Um <laughs> But but that's not the case anymore. You know, having, you know, 100 slides is no different than having 50 slides. The number of slides really or only corresponds to how they help you communicate your your argument or your or your message. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter if it's 100 slides or 10 slides. Um, it just matters in how effective it is helping you. So um, speaking so tell people, don't worry about it. Don't <laughs> worry about it. Right. Don't worry about the number of slides. It's all good. Um, you know, just just just, you know guide your audience through focus their attention where you want it be their yoda there you go yeah <laughs> but you don't have to like you know hold the cane and wear the wear the robe and Although, speak like half backwards <laughs> <laughs> bar chart you make <laughs> um no that's fant- you are completely speaking my language um Absolutely. I I tell people that I have this kind of exasperation around the idea that it's like, do do we pay for each slide that we create? I don't remember having to pay every time I create one. I'm pretty sure it's unlimited. So yeah, this is where all the IT people are like, well, it's memory's not that cheap. I'm like, yes, it is. Come on. Let's be clear. I mean, I'll I'll tell you as as, like a sort of a a little story, sort of evidence of this. I I was invited to give a talk 
and they wanted my my slides for the central computer. And so um, even though I don't like to do that, um, I did send them my slides and they said, well, you know, you have whatever it was, 30 minutes to talk and you have 200 slides here. And I said, well, yeah, I know, you know, I'm, I'm ready. And they're like, no, 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 that's, that's too many slides. <laughs> and, uh, I said, well, that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm prepared to talk about. They said, well, you're going to really need to cut those down to at least, you know, whatever it was, hundred slides, let's say. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. So I just went back and instead of what I typically would do is have, you know, that, that graph I just spoke about, that might be four slides, right? That would be the axes and then each line, that's four slides. Well, mm. I just sort of remade it so it was, you know, using an animate, right. uh, an animation. <laughs> so now it's down to one. And so I send them back the slide deck with half as many slides, same exact <laughs> content. And they say, yeah, that's, this is fine. This looks great. Content. So, you know, I, I, we haven't, we haven't, I don't think we, we, Leo, I think we still have work to do. We <laughs> haven't convinced everyone. Yeah, but uh, that's true. We'll get there. We're fighting the good fight, though. The good fight. That's right. <laughs> that's great. So, in the last section of your book, uh, I love that you have a part on delivery. I think so many people want to focus on just the, the prettiness of charts and slides and not talk about like the whole process. So, in delivery, um, one of my favorite things that you talked about was the importance of emotion. So, can you give a few tips on how to emotionally engage your audience, even with like really dry <laughs> material? Yeah. Yeah. This is always a good question. Like, well, how do I engage my audience if I'm talking about, you know, healthcare <laughs> cost financing? It's like, well, right. yeah, that is pretty dry. Um, so, so I think, you know, there, there are a few things here. I think one thing is that as the presenter, we should be, um, you know, aware of our emotions, be aware of how we feel. If we're, if, if we, you know, if I, as a speaker am nervous, the audience is going to pick up on it. If I'm sleepy and not really into it, they're going to pick up onto it. You know, you want to be enthusiastic. You want to seem like this is important, right? Because if you, if you don't at least appear like you think it's important, <laughs> then why should anyone in the audience think it's going to be important? So mm. that's sort of the, the first thing. But I think the 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 other place where emotions can be important or or you know be used, I guess, is to tell stories. And I I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with the word stories. Um, I think we we as uh, communicators, as people who who visualize data, we throw that word around a lot. Um, oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna tell a story with these data, and I make a line chart. Oh, that's not really a story, right? <laughs> um, but as a speaker. I have this opportunity. Let's let's take let's take that that line chart and the layering example, right? Mm -hmm. What what happens in a story? Um, and there's lots of definition of story, but what happens in a story? I think part of the core thing about a story is, is there's twofold. Is one there's an emotional hook, there's a drama to it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. And the second thing about story is that we're building towards something. It might be unexpected, but we're building towards something that we're going to reveal to the audience. Mm -hmm. And so in a presentation, I can show you the axes. I can show you the first line and the second line. And then here's the last line, right? I'm mm -hmm. building up towards that. And, you know, again, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure if I were to show you that line chart in a blog report, that it's the same sort of story, same content, mm -hmm. but it's not really a story. So there's that. But I'd say even to, to sort of think much differently is for any, anyone can tell a story that's about their experience or their lives. And um, I think this is where emotion becomes, um, where, where's the good hook for an audience. So, you know, people say, well, I don't really have a story about, you know, this thing I'm doing, you know, estimates of GDP for the whole country. That's not, you know, I don't have a story about that. And, you know, <laughs> and that's true, but the story doesn't have to be necessarily be about 
the research or the data itself. It can be about why you care mm. or what motivated you to do uh, this research or, you know, why it's important or why your audience should care. I mean, there's lots of stories. I tell stories uh, about um, the kitchen renovation we did uh, in our house when we first moved in because the, the kitchen tile, like the story I tell about my kitchen tile is that the grout lines were really heavy and dark. And so that's what you looked at when you looked at our old kitchen floor. Oh. And so it's like, it's the metaphor for the heavy grid lines and tick marks and stuff, right? Um, you know, I, I used, Great. I had a, a paper on um, on technology and in, in, uh, government programs and particular food stamps. And the motivation for that story was, walking past the DC office where people were standing in this line to go into the office and they were all on their cell phones. And so it's like, well, how, if, if we have this technology, we have mobile technology, how's that impacting how people, you know, interact with their government? Mm. Um, so it doesn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be some, you know, remarkable story where you save people from a burning building, right? It can <laughs> right. Be something that's, that's motivating, um, and yeah. perhaps a different way. So stories, I think stories are, are a, an important aspect of, of presentations, I think researchers, data analysts, I would suspect in, in marketing and a lot of people you talk to, well, maybe less marketing. I don't know. So, so let me, let me flip it back to you. I would, I would say researchers are not so good at telling stories, right? <laughs> we, we work with a lot of data and the data are provided by people, but we never actually talk to anyone and say, hey, what is your experience with this thing? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. People you work with have have more of that sort of interaction. Well, it's interesting. So <clears throat> I would say the more anal analysis focused folks aren't accustomed to articulating their data story from a perspective of a single customer or persona. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the tips that I give them is like, let's say you find a stat in your analytics, like your website is losing 80% of its visits from one page. This is ludicrous, but you know, right. and um, <clears throat> you know, that that's an influential stat because it's a large volume, but it dehumanizes the actual story behind what kind of friction that is causing your real live breathing customers mm -hmm. with your brand and your relationship. So I try to tell them like maybe take a combined approach to create a persona and write a story about someone that it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that marketers, I would say, are more attuned to because they are accustomed to articulating the customer journey as it relates right. to the brand. Uh, right. But but in terms of an analyst, um, it is it is a work in progress. Um, but I love that you pointed out like bringing you into that, you know, like mm -hmm. I found this, I thought this was going to be an interesting thing to dive into. There's a right. story there. Like, I love yeah. that. So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have, like I said, it doesn't have to be earth shattering. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to have to be a, you know, a, an emotional story that makes people cry. Right. <laughs> right. It just has to be. Our pounce you know, rate some, is terrible. Right. <laughs> just has to be something that people can can relate to. You know, we're yeah. all we're all people. We're all trying to share ideas or, or, or what have you. So, you know, make, you know, make it personal. The thing about a presentation that people the thing that people get from presentations that they can't get from a report is they can get they get you right in front of right in front mm. of them. Um, as a presenter. And so I think that's where we have an opportunity to connect with people. It's about communication. And, and we do that uh, between people. And um, it's like another example is, you know, I, I encourage people not to sort of 
you know, face the screen, right? A lot of people do that because they're reading the slides. Well, you would never sort of turn to the side if you were talking to someone one-on-one, um, <laughs> right? Like we're communicating with people. So let's let's just communicate. And you know, a lot of it's just a lot of common sense, honestly. Um, but it's it's a lot of sort of seeing it for the first time. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 right. If I if I tell a story about why I'm motivated, that that's a good hook. If I maybe don't show every data point right away, I can bring people along with me in this in this little story, this little vignette uh, about this about this thing. So it's really starting to just be exposed to a lot of these techniques and then thinking critically about um, how I as a as an individual can can implement them in, into my work. I love that so much. And I'm so glad that you mentioned about the communication and like facing the screen while talking. You know, one of my favorite parts that you had about emotion was <laughs> act like you're enjoying yourself. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I read that because (laughs) it's so true. Sometimes we feel like we're going to our own funeral when we're going to these things. And even if it's an act, like even when you're smiling, like there's research that shows that your actual mood improves if you're pretending to be happy. Um, And that will, I think, very much reflect back to you from the audience themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So, John, I call the next segment the upgrade. It is a power tip for PowerPoint, Excel, any of the tools we use in our trade or any kind of any kind of strategy you have to do our job better. Do you have anything fun for us? Yeah, I think so. So I think I have two. I'll give you an Excel one and a PowerPoint one since I spend a lot of time in, in Microsoft. So Sweet. in Excel, uh, I'm a big fan of keyboard shortcuts in Excel. Mm-hmm. So my favorite keyboard shortcut is Control-1 if you're on a PC or Command-1 if you're on a Mac. Um, that shortcut, that keyboard shortcut will bring you to the format menu for anything in Excel. So if you are, you know, you want to change the format of the numbers in the spreadsheet, in the table, select the data, Control-1, brings you to the format numbers. You want to change the appearance of the x-axis, select the x-axis, control one. And it's just, you know, I'm always formatting and changing and and doing things like that. And instead of having to do the drop-down menus and, you know, sort of meander through, I just hit, you know, control one or command one, and it brings me right there. So that's my favorite Excel keyboard shortcut. Um, And PowerPoint, I'm not sure how many people are aware of the morph tool that is in PowerPoint, in the new version of PowerPoint, PowerPoint 2016. So in the transitions tab in PowerPoint. Now, I'm probably, I think we probably share uh, a similar thought about not having crazy animations and crazy transitions would be would be my guess. Well, except for a checkerboard, um, I mean. I except for, love... and blinds. You got to have blinds, right. You got to have blinds. Um, <laughs> but um the morph tool is a new piece of, of 2016. It's under the transitions tab. I think the morph tool is, is great. Now, morph tool is basically Microsoft's version of magic move if you're a keynote user. Mm. Um, and so as a, as a, like a good example of what you can do with morph is let's say you have a scatter plot. And let's say, you know, you don't necessarily want to do this to overkill as, mm. as you don't want a lot of things. But let's say you have a scatter plot. And it's going to transition over a five-year period. So you're going to show the points in the first year and then the second year and the third year. You can actually create those those scatter plots, uh, drop them into PowerPoint and apply the magic move uh, morph, or I'm sorry, the morph in PowerPoint. And those those circles, those dots of the scatter plot will move 
from one slide to the next. So you mm. basically get a Hans Rosling type effect yeah. um, in PowerPoint. Cool. And it's really cool. It's not as simple as I just made it seem. Um, <laughs> it does take a lot more work than that. Um, but you can you can basically move things around. Another another uh, way to sort of apply that, and I'll I'll stop yammering. But um, <laughs> is if you're showing, let's say, an infographic in your slides, and um, what you might want to do is sort of you know zoom into the infographic mm-hmm. and then zoom it all the way back out. Magic move. You basically have the full infographic on a slide. So it's sort of zoomed all the way out. Then you duplicate that slide, blow up the image, apply magic, uh, sorry, I keep doing that, apply morph, (laughs) and the infographic will appear like it's zooming in and then you can zoom back out. And it's a very simple uh, transition technique. Um, It's, it's, for the most part, it's, it's very smooth. Um, And uh, so it's my, it's like my new favorite toy uh, in PowerPoint 2016 is this, is this morph tool. So Gonna so hopefully to, that'll, that'll be helpful to people. Awesome. I'm going to have to get a little more comfortable with that. That sounds <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, good. All right. So this is our final question. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're competing in the JP Morgan Tournament of Champions, known as the world's greatest squash tournament, when you suddenly trip and fall through a rip in time and you're brought back to the moment you're about to give your first presentation. <laughs> what would present you say to past you? Well, okay. So, um, first off, um, past me. So let's see, first presentation. Now I have to think, I have to think, let me, let me, uh, I'll get a, I'll get a specific one, which would be, um, preparing for my, uh, graduate school job talk. Cause mm-hmm. I can remember this fairly, vis- uh, 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 distinctly. <laughs> so for, first thing is, to not misplace your clicker. Uh, um, actually, it was it was a clicker. It was actually a laser pointer because at the time when I did this, they were actual physical, you know, plastic slides. So, but first thing is don't misplace that, you know, putting it, I think it rolled under the projector actually is where uh-huh. it ended up. Um, but I think a lot of the things that, that, I, that we've talked about, I think the biggest thing for, for me was, you know, no one is going to be able to see all the numbers on the regression table with the six columns and the 40 <laughs> rows. No one is going to be able to see that. Like, and, yeah. And those numbers are not all that important. Like, let's be honest, young John, younger John. Um, <laughs> grasshopper. <laughs> like, grasshopper. Yeah. I mean, you know, only those whatever six numbers are are really important. So let's just show those. Um and probably the most important thing I tell young me is to practice. I, as I probably did today, said um, I had a lot of those filler words, you know, um and uhs and and way too much of that. I just remember being super nervous uh, because it was in front of the the faculty. But it was, I think, a lot of that was not practicing and not rehearsing and 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 sort of not just sketching out the way we talked about earlier, sketching out the outline of the talk, but being familiar with how I want to present it to an audience. I was familiar with the content. Like we're all familiar with the content once we've written the 900 page report, but communicate, being familiar with how we're going to speak and communicate in a presentation is a different, a different, uh, a different task. So there are a lot of things I could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe buy a different sport coat. Cause that one was just too, <laughs> too big. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, let's, you know, if we're going to go into it, let's really go into it. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so a lot, a lot to improve upon, but uh, hopefully I've, I've 
gotten some of the way there. Maybe <laughs> most of the way there. We'll see. You know, it's all hindsight. Uh, it's all hindsight. It's all hindsight. I mean, I will. The other thing I'll remember, I do remember is having, uh, we had, a, I went to graduate school at Syracuse and uh, I remember having a job talk or not job talk, a, a professor from Cornell came up because they're only about an hour away. So they would come up a lot. We'd go down there and he's, I remember him setting up his slides again, physical slides. And before he even gets out the first words of thank you for having me, one of the faculty members raises his hand and says, why should I even care about this topic? <laughs> and I was like, wow, wow, that's quite a tone. And, <laughs> you know, the answer wasn't great. The answer wasn't great. But, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes sits in the back of my head. It's like if I'm going to go give a talk and someone says right away, why should I care about this? I should be able to answer that question. Right. Right. I should be able to answer that. And, you elevator know, pitch. Yeah, elevator pitch. But. <laughs> Not in an elevator, just in front of a room of 30 people. So. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> yeah, that's all. It's all. No big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of things to improve. But, you know, again, fighting the good fight. Of course. Well, John, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I would love if you could tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. Yes. Um, and I would love if they did so. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jay Schwabish, which is Jay in my last name. Um, they can find me um, on all the good uh, social media channels, but mostly they can find me on my website at policyviz.com. Um, and at the website, I have a whole section carved out for the book where they can find more resources. Um, I have lots of downloadable things they can get. They can get the worksheet. They can get a supplies checklist. They can download images and icons and PowerPoint files that I've put up there that are from the book that they can uh, drag and or pull down and use for their own purposes. And of course, they can check out the my own podcast, uh, which is the Policy Viz podcast. And um, yeah, uh, you know, I look forward to hearing what uh, what your listeners are uh, uh, challenged with uh, their data viz and their presentation uh, issues and challenges. All right. That's a call out to you guys. You got to let him know. So if you go to the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 026, you'll find all the links to the resources we've mentioned, including his book, and a chance to let him know what your biggest challenges are. And John, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Your work has been so inspiring to me, and I really look forward to what you've got planned for this year. Oh, thanks, Leah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I just can never get over how thrilling it is to talk to the top minds in this business and bring their strategies for presenting your data to get results straight to you, my lovely listener. So thrilling. I get so starstruck still meeting people like John. It amazes me. What a privilege, you know, and I hope you feel the same. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. If you like what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are so appreciated because they affect the rankings of the show and help get this content out to practitioners like yourself. And I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. Once again, to catch all of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit leahpika.com slash 026. And I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions or questions for John. He's waiting <laughs> because we want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting information for maximum impact. And this episode was sponsored by my amazing company, Search Discovery. Search Discovery is a digital intelligence company that empowers organizations to make transformative business decisions. Our enablement, empowerment, and advisory services help organizations capture, understand, and communicate the right data to propel their business forward. And what's our goal? 
to enable high fives, handshakes, business impact, and indispensability for yourself. And we're hiring. Search Discovery is always looking for amazingly talented, pioneering individuals like yourself who work real hard and stay humble. If that sounds like you, please check them out at searchdiscovery.com. And today's present inspiration is from Ben Schneiderman, and that is the purpose of visualization is insight, not pictures. Yay. Simple and to the point. So let's make 2017 a big one for insights together. Catch you next time. Namaste. That's a wrap. The other thing that that you that 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 <laughs> I call it I call it lazy man's blogging because I just uh, <laughs> oh, I know God the HTML to work because the freaking bullet points don't go in the right spot. <laughs> um, Alt tagging. <laughs> so we're gonna let's let's do this. <laughs> hey, I don't ever want to see it again. Thank you. <laughs> I can just I can just imagine going to be painful. <laughs> it's going to be painful. It is a painful experience. So, 